You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. We're going to get into the word of the Lord here tonight. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord on Wednesday night. And uh, it's good to see everybody back in the house of the Lord. And... uh, Working on some exciting things happening and coming, but thank you for being here faithful even through the summer. Everybody surviving the heat? Amen. Sort of. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's stand tonight. We're going to go to the book of James, chapter number four. James, chapter number four. And uh, I'm going to be along tonight. I'm going to take my time. Is that all right? Amen. So why not? Why not? Somebody said amen. So I figured if I say I'm short and I go long, then you're disappointed. But if I start off and say I go long and then go short, then you're going to be really happy. So, But I want to talk to you, if I can, from the book of James, one verse of Scripture, James chapter 4 here. And we've been doing a sermon series on midweeks here in our Wednesday nights and called transformational behaviors. Transformational behaviors, things that transform your lives. And we've covered three topics. We've covered the power of a blessing tongue. We've covered the power of a uh, yes spirit or getting a yes spirit. And then we talked about having an abundant mindset. And tonight I want to talk to you about something else. This has revolutionized my life. It's something that was taught to me, something that I had to learn time and time again. And maybe because it goes against our natural tendencies, it's something that we are in continual learning about. But I want to go to book of James here, chapter number four. And our text is going to come from one verse of Scripture here in verse number 7, but I'd really like to read the first few verses here. I don't know if they've got that, but let's start at James chapter 4 and verse number 1, and uh, we will read this together here. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war... Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now this is James. Let's just put this in context. Talking to the church. So this is strong language in their day. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And here he comes down in verse 7. Submit yourselves. Read this with me. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He goes on and gives some great admonitions, but I want to talk to us tonight if I can 
on the security of submission. The security of submission. When you figure out the submission factor in your life, you walk with God in the kingdom of God, there is a security that comes in your life. There's an assurance. There's a confidence that comes in your life that that is so empowering. And so it will transform you. It's transformed my life. And so I want to talk tonight. I really want to just talk to you tonight from the Word of the Lord and our experience. So this this may be a little bit more Bible study uh, uh, mode, but spiritually we've got to catch this in our spirit. And we need the Holy Ghost to help us tonight. Can you pray with me right now? Let's lay our Bibles down and ask the Lord to have His way. God, in Jesus' name, I thank You for Your Spirit tonight. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for everyone that's in the house of the Lord tonight. And I ask God that Your blessing would be upon Your people. I pray that Your blessing would be upon this church. God, upon everyone that came tonight. And we're looking to Your Word today for truth, direction, and answers. I pray let us be transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost tonight. In Jesus' name, God, move me. God, change me. Change the way I think. Lord, and let it affect my behavior, who I am. For your glory, we give you honor and praise tonight in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up a hallelujah. Lord, we praise your name. We bless your name tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet somebody before you're seated tonight. Tell them, I'm glad you're here with us tonight. Amen. If you don't know them, get to know them later. Amen. I don't know if anybody caught that. This Sunday, we have a wonderful treat, and it's going to be a special blessing to CTK. I'm very happy and privileged to have... Uh, here at CTK ministering us, uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Daniel Butler, who is from uh, Anaheim, California, the Orange, Cali- uh, uh, Orange County area there. And uh, he's going to be ministering to us in our main 1030 service Sunday. So it's going to be a blessing and a treat. He's now a bishop and uh, he's here for Oneness Educators Conference. And so we're happy to have him here with us uh, many decades ago or a few decades ago. I shouldn't say many. He was uh, served at the Home Missions Division there, but he's out of the same church. Our families go way back, and uh, is a dear friend, and so I know he's going to be a blessing to us. And so that's this Sunday morning. You won't want to be you won't want to miss that. I'll be teaching Sunday school, and then he's going to be ministering in our ten thirty service. That's going to be a blessing. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. So don't miss Sunday. It's going to be an awesome time. This Sunday night's just going to be phenomenal. I think we're going to. Uh, bring the entire Mexican restaurant to Truth Church, literally, for after service. So just come be a part. It's going to be great if you've never been there. Uh, we want to pack the place out and just have a Holy Ghost power-filled experience. Choir's going to be singing. God's going to be blessing and uh, excited about that. All right, got to get started because I've got a lot here. I've got a lot of notes. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That makes me feel better. <laughs> Submit yourselves to God. Therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James, in one verse, gives us two sides of the same coin. Gives us the interaction 
of our being with Almighty God, and He gives us our posture, if you will, again against the great tempter, against uh, uh, our adversary, that the Bible says goes about and constantly is barraging us, accusing us, the accuser of the brethren. Two sides of the same coin. The one side, submit yourself therefore to God. The other side, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I think this is an interesting thing that he does, that he puts together. How many want the devil off your back? Amen. Amen. He lets us know on the one side, if we look at it, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But he says this only after the context of first, submit yourself, therefore, to God. If you don't get anything else, and this is where we stop tonight, you want the devil off your back, get on God's side. And you submit yourself to God, and there's nothing that the devil can do. He cannot touch you unless God grants permission. We see that in the story of Job, where all these things befall Job. But if we actually read the narrative, Lucifer's going about, and he comes before God, and he says, God, there's this man that, that has a hedge around him, and I can't even touch him. God says, okay. He's a perfect man. He's a man that loves me with all of his heart. He's a man that has faith in me. He is fully submitted. And so God says, okay, you can touch him. But you can't, you can't, you can touch his stuff, but you can't touch him. You can touch him, but you can't take his life. And you know how the story unfolds. Yes, there were great things that happened to Job. Yes, there was great lessons. Yes, there's an understanding there, but it's a powerful thing to understand the principle that nothing happened to Job that God did not permit. And if our God is a loving God and a God that answers by fire and a God that hears us in the moment that we pray, if he's permitted it, then he's purposed it. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house right now. If he's permitted it, then he's purposed it. And we have a promise. All things work together for good to them that love God to them that are called according to His purpose. You want the devil off your back? Submit to God. So, there you go. James chapter 4, verse 7. He gives it to us right there. This will change your life. Now, it's easy to say. It's easy to understand. In that sense, it is very, very difficult to practice. I didn't get one amen on that. I didn't get one amen on that. Because it's the truth. Submission is very difficult. There are three things that we must be submitted to. Number one, the first thing that we must be submitted to, these, these things should be obvious to us. The first thing that we must be submitted to 
is we must submit to God's Word. Number one, we must submit to God's Word. His Word is forever settled in heaven. He's given it to us. I preached about it Sunday morning. If you weren't here, you missed it, go back, listen to it. He's given us an unlimited promise, but that promise is predicated upon our full submission and obedience to Him. And if it's in the Word, I need to obey it. If it's in the Word, I need to follow it. If it's in the Word, I need to submit to what God has for my life. And that's a powerful principle because the reality is often we know more truth than we are living. I'll say that again. The reality is sometimes we know more truth than we are living. And if I look back in my life, I can see the errors of my way and where I went wrong, the decisions and the wrong turns that I made were contrary to the things of God. Simply, for just simple solution, you can start with this. And this pattern is all throughout from the beginning of Scripture. We, we did our series, remember, 22, 23 weeks on origins. I can't even remember how long it was now. Long time, Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And we went through that. Then all of a sudden, we, we end at chapter 11, which is just telling us the ancestry leading up to Abraham. Chapter 12 of Genesis starts with Abraham. And from Abraham all the way through to the end of the New Testament, we see that God is teaching the same thing, principles in different times, in different manners. And that is this, that He has to be first in our life. That it doesn't work unless He's first in your life. He has to be first. So He required this of Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to give you a great promise, but you have to leave everything and follow me. So Abraham left everything. He left her. He left his father's house. And he went, Hebrews says, he went looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He left everything. He prioritized God. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. We see it in the Mosaic Law. We see it all the way to the New Testament, to the disciples, that God is trying to get us to obey His Word, to prioritize, and you've heard, you've heard this phrase, your time, your talents, and your treasure. Those three things, those three things that are most valuable to us are time. Don't mess with my time. My time is my time. Don't invade my time. Don't mess with my talents. That's what I want to do. That's my giftings. That's my whatever. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I can use that for my own benefit. Don't mess with my treasure. That's I don't have my wallet. I left it in there. That's, that's, that's our treasure, our money, the things that we store up. But the Bible teaches us Everywhere God met them, He says, okay, do you, I've got a great calling. I've got a great purpose for you. Oh, that's awesome, God. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Okay, I want you to prioritize me in your time, your talents, and your treasure. And it's going to cost you something up front, but I'm giving you an eternal promise. I'm giving you a guarantee that outlasts this life. Anybody ever heard of a lifetime warranty? We don't have a lifetime warranty. We have an eternal warranty. Amen? But God says, you've got to prioritize me. You've got to put me first. I want to be first. 
I want to be first in your life. I don't want to be second. I don't want to be third. It will not work out if I am just a guest in the room. I need to be the host of the house. Super simple. Turn to somebody and say, it's so simple. Come on, it's so simple. Right? It's so simple. Yet, why do we have a hard time doing it? Nobody's going to help me preach on Wednesday night. All God's asking is we prioritize. So the first thing we have to do is submit ourselves to the Word. So when I find somebody that is not prioritizing God in their time, talent, and treasure, they don't have a problem with me. They don't have a problem with the church. They may think they have a problem with me. They may think they have a problem with the church. But ultimately, who they have a problem with is they have a problem with God's Word. And I can't even get you to first base because you haven't even left the dugout yet. Praise God. I can, I can talk like this and I can say this because I've lived this. I've learned this. I know what it's like to write a tithe check and it hurts. I know what it's like to not write the tithe check and get to the end of the month and say, I should have wrote that tithe check. I can tell you which one hurts worse. Oh, nobody's going to help me tonight, but I'm going to tell you, when you, there's a security in submission. Yeah, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm talking about transformational behavior. If you're always worried about when you write the check or you give to the kingdom of God, you're worried about how they mishandle it or what's going on and everything else, you've missed the point. It's God's kingdom. He's the boss. He can clean house better than you can. He can take care of things. But I have a biblical mandate and responsibility to honor God with my first fruits, with my time, my talent, and treasure, to prioritize God in my life. And when I prioritize God in my life, man, whew, there's a security there because I know God's going to take care of his own. David said, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread after, years after, he writes Psalm 22, which starts out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he lets us know God always comes through. You could be in the middle of a valley right now. You could be in a place in life where you're thinking God's not coming through. But I'm here to remind you the story's not over. The story is not over. So Job was at a place where he said, I, 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 I despise the day that I was born. Don't remind me it's my birthday. This is painful. This is, this is horrible. But he gets to the place at the end of his life where he says, I praise God. And God blessed him greater than he had, greater in the end than he had even in the beginning. So the powerful principle, submit to God's word. So if God says it, I don't, I've got so much faith now, I don't even have to understand.
Now, I want to understand, and I believe God's Word teaches us things so that I will understand, and if I study long enough, I'm going to find. But I don't have time in my life to figure it all out before I sign the contract. He's been good enough to me that I'm going to sign the contract now, Lord. I'm going to say yes now. I'm going to get a yes in my spirit. I'm going to do whatever you say do. I'm going to follow you now because, amen, I know that you're the only one I can put my faith and trust in, and God will prove himself time and time again. When you are living according to the principles and the precepts of the Word of God, man, it makes you invincible to the things that are happening in the world around us. I'm not shaken. I'm not concerned. I'm now, you know, there's realities. Gas is five, whatever a gallon. That's, you know, there's things like that. There's wars going on. I understand all that stuff. But the reality is, is that God, this day did not come upon God or surprise him. And I know that he's going to take care of his own. Amen. That he's got a purpose. He's brought me to the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen. I got to hasten on. Number two. Submit to God's Spirit. So submit to the Spirit. The Spirit, the Bible teaches us not only is His Word written, and it's forever settled, and it's established. And the Word, we don't change one, one, one uh, uh, jot or tittle. We, we don't change one asterisk in the letter. We don't change a letter. We don't change a space. We don't alter what God says to fit our opinion. We don't alter the Word of God to make it more palatable to our preferences and our prejudice, we obey the Word of God and we submit to the Word of God as it's given to us. And then we submit to His Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that His Spirit, and, and I, I've used this definition, with, allow me the, the luxury tonight to not explain this definition, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God is God's relative presence to man. What do I mean by that? Well, God is a spirit. He's eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He's without limitations. So, so when we say the Holy Spirit came into my heart, we're not, we're not limiting God to just this little spirit that floats around. And no, God is a spirit everywhere. And even when God is everywhere at all times, David said, if I make my bed in hell, where can I go from the presence of the Lord? If I make my bed in hell, he's there. He's almighty. But His Spirit becomes relative. When we respond to Him, His Spirit responds to us. It's a living Spirit. Spirit's life. That's where all life comes from, Spirit. And so it's God, relativity speaking to us, relating to us, transcendence. The eternal God, the unknowable God made knowable come down speaking to us. And that Spirit can manifest in different ways. In the Scripture, we see the Spirit, there were physical manifestations. Angels, voices. Samuel would hear the voice of God. There, there would be visions. Uh, there would be dreams. God would give dreams. This happens to Peter. This happens to the Apostle Paul. So we know this, this still happens today, that God can speak to you in a way, uh, in a still small voice. God can prompt you. It's a sense. He's, the Bible teaches us to try the spirits and see whether they be of God, to have a discernment of spirits, that when we go into a place, we can discern the spirits. We can discern the manner. Is this of God or is this, is this of hell? Is this of corruption? Is this, of, is this the things of God? So there's a spirit, spiritual aspect. 
So this, you know, to people that believe that we're, we're that are just atheistic or agnostic, that don't believe God is real, we're just we're just an accidental cosmic explosion, a bunch of particles together, and we're nothing more than that. They 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 may deny all this stuff, but you are uh, uh, body, soul, and spirit, and there's a way. There is a spiritual dynamic. The Bible is very real and talks about that. And there's spiritual things that can happen. And the Spirit of God will speak to you personally. The Spirit will warn you of things. Paul talks about this in the book of Acts without me getting it too long. He says uh, uh, there's times the Holy Ghost will warn him. If you go here, there's going to be things that are going to come upon you. And so sometimes the Spirit will warn you of things. You'll feel things in the Spirit. God will speak things. And so I don't know really how to explain that. I think for everybody it's different. God speaks your language. Okay? So God didn't speak to me in Portuguese because I wouldn't have a clue what He was saying. Right? So God speaks the language of you. You can even speak the same language and somebody speaking at some kind of, you know, archaic, intellectual, high, big words. I don't know what that would break that down. God, God can speak to a child right? Because He speaks the language of us. So God can speak us. So we have to submit to the Spirit. If the Spirit is trying to prompt you to things, if the Spirit is trying to speak things into your life, and you don't submit to the Spirit, well, you can just ask Jonah how that went. Right? If you don't know the story of Jonah, God calls him to Nineveh. No, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh. You know why I didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because the Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the ones that had been the, the, the people that had, had uh, 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 come against his family, literally his place. They, they, these were the enemies. These were the invaders. These were the ones that take, took them captive. These were the ones, I don't, I don't want to go preach to them, God. I'm not going to go preach to people that came down and messed my life up, that, that took my family away and stole them away made them slaves, and, and did all kinds of horrible things. I'm not going to do that. And God says, I want you to go preach. No. So he does what? He gets on a boat and does what every ordinary person would do. He goes as far, he runs as hard as he can, and goes as fast and far as he can from the actual direction that God, God sent him. Of course, you know the story. There's a storm that comes. And all the people on the boat, these men, uh, uh, women on the boat, whoever's on the boat, they, they knew this something, this is not a normal storm. And they start saying, what have we done? What gods do you serve? Who's done something bad? Somebody's done something to stir up some deity somewhere that's messing something up. And they finally come to Jonah, and Jonah says, oh, yeah, it's me. Save yourself. Don't worry. Just throw me overboard. So Jonah now is at a place where he's like, okay, he's still not wanting to go. He's not saying, no, Lord, I'm sorry, I'll go. He's doing the most selfish thing he could do. He says, I don't want to do this. So throw me overboard. I'm going I'm to take my own life. I'm going to perish my own life. Throw me overboard. God says, you're not getting off the hook that easy. God sends a big fish. Am I in the Bible? And the fish follows, swallows Jonah. He's in there. You read it. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. This is what it says. And it says this on day three... He prayed. It would not have taken me three days. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's easy for us to say that, but how many times has the Spirit spoken to us? 
and we're fighting against it. No, God, I don't want, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm going to. God says, hey, you know, you, know that, you know that thing that you value more than anything else in your life? I'm asking you to give it to me. I'm asking you to lay it on the altar. I'm asking you to surrender it. Hey, you know that pain and that hurt that you have? I'm asking you to get past that and minister to somebody. Hey, you know that, you know that hang up that you've been holding on to for years? God says, I'm coming, I'm speaking specifically to you, and I'm asking you, it's time to let go. I'm asking you to choose, do you want to hurt more or do you want to be my child? What's going to define you? And while God's asking this, we're sitting there and we're fighting against God. And we can laugh at Jonah and say, here, Jonah, it took you three days. And we can be years down the path of what God is trying to do. And we're wondering why things won't work out in our life. Because we have to learn to submit to the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. Here I am, Lord. Speak. This is what Samuel would say when the voice of the Lord was coming to him. Samuel, Samuel. He thought it was Eli, and he would go to him, and he would say, here I am, Lord. Speak to me. This is what he would say. That's what we've got to say. Here I am, Lord. Speak to me. Here I am, Lord. Isn't that what Isaiah said? Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll go. I know you're giving me a vision. I know you're talking. And I know it's me that's having the dream. It's me that's having the vision. You're not sending this word to me for somebody else. Isn't that an easy one? We can pass the buck on. But God, I'll go. Here I am. Send me. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. We've got to be submitted to the Spirit. So, so easy to say amen to, but so hard to actually follow through on. And the third thing we've got to do is we've got to submit to God's program. Is this okay tonight? Yeah. This will change. will change our life. It's changed my life. It's why I'm here today, literally. It's why I am here physically. It's why I am who I am today. The third one, submit to God's program. Submit to God's program. You say, well, what's God's program? Well, God has a kingdom that He's established. And His Word gives us instruction. And He orders things and He tells us things. And in the Old Testament, He had established spiritual authority. He established certain things. And in the New Testament, He does the same. We see this in the book of Ephesians, where Paul outlines this for us. So I want us to go there if we can. Ephesians chapter number 4. In fact, I'm going to turn there here because we may read a few more verses than I gave you. We're going to start at verse 11. We may read down through verse 17. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter number 4, and let's begin if we can at verse number 11. And here he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Paul takes time here, and he says that God is still working on us. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're not finished. (laughs) We're not finished yet. And he said, and so God gave some things to work with us. I'm glad. Aren't you thankful that God is long-suffering? This is one of the most interesting attributes about God because He's a God of of righteousness and a God of holiness, a God of justice, and He will allow no sin, no sin, no flesh, He says, shall glory in my presence. And yet He understands how far it is for us to reach that place of really being refined and purified. And so He is a long-suffering God. This is so contrary to everything else. Jesus broke all of the rules. He surrounded himself with a bunch of messed up people. This is not, this is why a lot of times people try to take secular leadership models and they try to find biblical principles to insert into those but the gospel blows all of the paradigms away. Because Jesus Christ, He he got people that couldn't control their anger. He got people who who had pride issues. He had people who who had greed issues. And He worked with them. And He worked with them. And He worked with them. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And they're still walking around putting their faith in a sword and pulling it out and cutting people's ears off. But yet Christ knew someday (laughs) you're going to stand before thousands and you're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're going to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Spirit of the Lord because they're going to look and say, if God can do it in Him, God can do it in me. And so all along, God was building testimonies. He is long-suffering. And, and here Paul says, you're not finished. God is still working. And so God has established some, some parameters and some programs in the church. He's put, as he said here, apostles. He's given us the apostles. He's given us prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The work of the perfecting of the saints. The work of the ministry. The edifying of the body of Christ. He's given us different characteristics, different things that can come in as tools in the church. He's established within the church. He's established spiritual authority. Look at this in Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse 17. And before you think that I'm teaching anything that's self-serving, I want to tell you I have learned this lesson in my life. It's what saved me. It's why I can boldly declare it to you tonight because it's it's what kept me. 
Hebrews 13 and 17, Obey them that have the rule over you. And here's the word. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Okay, so I can trust God's Word. It's His Word, right? It's forever settled. (laughs) I can put my faith in God's Word. Okay, so I can trust God's Spirit. It's the Spirit of the Lord. Nobody else can speak to me in that many ways, different times, through different places. So, okay, I can trust His Spirit. But we have a hard time trusting others in the body of Christ. And our, our, our flesh plays games. Well, the preacher or the pastor or, or the man of God or the leader, whoever sat in spiritual authority, they, they're just a person too. and They make mistakes. So I really want to do this. And you know what? I think I'm going to do this. We can posture ourselves into such a position that we can never receive a no. Or we're never even open to the no in our life. When actually what what Paul is trying to tell us is that God gave. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of sin. These are gifts that God has given that the pastor in my life, that the teacher in my life, that the apostles and the prophets, these are gifts that God has given to me to bring me to the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a hard thing for us to learn. We look at it by going to the Word of God, right? The Word of God, we can be submitted to the Word of God So thank God that this principle is not arbitrary, but it's grounded in the Word of God. And I can submit to the Word of God. We look at two examples. We look first at Samuel. Samuel is the uh, promised child of a woman who was barren. And and she is uh, living her life for the Lord. And she's content uh, as she is, even though she is uh, perplexed with this issue of being barren. And the Bible says that that they made a space in their house for the prophet. As he would travel through, they they had a prophet's room, if you will. A place, when the prophet came, a place for him to stay. That's how much they honored God. They, They wanted the man of God, the person of God, to be able to have a comfortable place. And so they took their time, treasure, and talents, and they set aside a space of their home to occupy. It wasn't like he was coming through every day or every week. Uh, 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 but they had a place where he could stay. So here he is, and, and he then sees that she's barren. He knows why she's, she's, she's downcast. This was, this was a huge thing in that culture. Uh, uh, it's a huge thing today uh, to have that uh, uh, affliction, but it would have been even been more impactful and noticeable then. And yet... When the prophet comes to her, he prophesies something over her, and he says, about this time uh, next year, you're going to have a son. 
And she looks at him and says, don't lie to me. And I, I'm using my, my paraphrases, the Andrew Romine uh, uh, transliteration here. Don't lie to me. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Don't just tell me something because you think it's going to make me feel good. And he says, no, I'm telling you what God has said. This, this is going to happen. You mark it down. And God gives her a son and her son's name, Samuel. And you know the story. She has the son, and when the son is weaned, she takes her son and she gives him back to the Lord. Imagine how hard that is for a mother. She gives him back to the Lord. She goes on to have six other children. If you read the text, she has six other children. So God did bless her, but she gave it back to God. So here's Samuel. He's raised in now the prophet's house. He's living in the house of Eli, who Eli has the children of, uh, uh, and his sons are doing all kinds of wicked things. Uh, she takes him to the house of the Lord, and she, she surrenders him uh, to, uh, to the high priest. Eli's the high priest. And his sons are making a mockery of the tabernacle in a gross way. He, they are involving uh, idolatrous practices in the tabernacle and uh, actual, actual uh, immorality is taking place, acting out at the tabernacle, the sacred place of God. And God speaks to Samuel, and he says, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel mistakes it for the voice of the high priest. And he goes to Eli. He said, you called me. He said, no, I didn't call you. I'm sleeping. Go back to bed. It's the Andrew Romine transliteration. And he does it again a second time. He does it again. And he says, listen, this is God that's speaking to you. Next time, I want you to talk to God. Now, here's Eli, who is in an interesting situation. He is allowing Eli... The high priest is allowing immorality and idolatry to take place because of the nepotism he had for his sons. But yet he's still in tune enough to give direction to someone who surrendered to God. And he says, Samuel, next time the voice speaks, it's God. I want you to listen to him. And what did Eli do in that moment? In that moment, Eli, as his pastor, as his prophet, as his high priest, Samuel was submitted to Eli, and Eli says, look, because of your submission, I'm directing you, this is God that is speaking to you. Where would Samuel have been had Eli not been in his life? And then God speaks to Samuel, what God says to Samuel, 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 here I am, Lord, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And God says, okay, now that I've got your attention, now that we've got something established, I've got to tell you, I've got a word for you. In fact, this word is not for you, but it's for you to send to Eli. I see the sin. I see the iniquity that's going on. And judgment is coming to your house. And your house will be destroyed. And the first word that Samuel hears from God is actually a word that God gives to him to take back to the high priest. But the only reason why Samuel would know it's God was because he was submitted. And the reason why he was obedient to the Lord, when he goes back and he speaks it to Eli, Eli says, look, I know God gave you a word for me. Don't hold back. Speak. And you could see Samuel in his eyes. I don't want to do this. I don't want to say this. He's been working for him for years. He, he's praying for revival. This was not what he wanted what he wanted, but Samuel then speaks. And you know the story. His sons 
carry the ark into battle. The ark is taken. They're killed in battle. And his daughter-in-law is pregnant. And, and they come back and they tell Eli what happens. The Bible says that Eli falls over. He, he tells Samuel, he verifies Samuel, this is from God, this is true. Eli falls over and he breaks his neck. Eli dies. And this is where the daughter-in-law has a child. She's in the middle of labor. She names her son Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord is departed. The power of that moment, that transitionary moment that took place in the nation of Israel was based upon principles of submission. There was submission that was played out there. Go on a little bit farther. Who's a man that Samuel anoints? Well, he anoints Saul at the, at the hand of at, at the direction of the Lord, but obviously that doesn't work out. And so he's into Saul's kingdom, two years into Saul's reign, and Samuel stands before Saul and says, God is stripping the kingdom from you and he's going to give it to another. And he's a few years now down the road and he comes and God says, stop crying, Samuel, go to Jesse's house and anoint his son. And he goes in there and he goes to Jesse's house and he says, I'm here to anoint your son. Where are your sons? And, and, and Jesse brings out his sons. He brings out Eliab. He brings out the others. He brings out those that are tall. He brings out those. This is my eldest. This is the great. Surely this is it. And Samuel, all right, here we go. God, I'm ready to go. And as Samuel gets ready to anoint Eliab, nope, this isn't it. Because Samuel submitted to the Spirit, and he hears the voice prompting him, no, this isn't it. He goes down the whole line, no, it's not it. Jesse, I've gone through all of your sons. All of them are no, but I know what God said. Do you have another son? Oh, yeah, I, I got another one out in the field. Bring him here. He brings him in. And Samuel anoints David. David is anointed king by the prophet. But yet something interesting transpires. 14 years, I think it is, that David has to run and live, even be exiled. And he lives running all the while knowing God has anointed him to be king. Someone gave me this book when I was in Bible college, one of the lowest points of my life. A dear friend of mine, Brother Tim Pettigo. The title of the book is called The Making of a Man of God, written by an old preacher, Alan Redpath. This book changed my life. Because as I began to read through here, it says, But David knew, and although he never lifted a finger to get to the throne for himself, in fact, he often spared the life of Saul, even when that jealous king was attempting to kill him. David knew beyond all doubt that one day he would be king. Such an interesting thing that takes place in David's life. Yes, David has great failures later on. He's a man. Many ways worse than some of us. But yet, David did some extraordinary things. He knew God had anointed him for a purpose but he submitted to God's program because God's program includes God's timing. And I'm not going to force what I know when God's not preparing the way. So David submitted to God's Word, David submitted to God's Spirit, and David submitted to God's program. That God puts people over your life. Obey them that have rule over you. Yes, God had set up Saul. And so David 
Even though Saul was trying to kill him, even though he was anointed king, David would rather be exiled than to usurp the authority of God's timing. Because sometimes God says, no, not yet. And our flesh can make a mess of no, not yet. We could stand on the side of justification, but I'm anointed. I heard from God. I know the dream. I know what God spoke to me. And we bypass the gifts that God puts in our lives. I'll never forget the testimony of one Sister Nona Freeman, Brother Blake. She came when I was a student in Bible college, and her and Elder Freeman came through Indianapolis, and she shared the story of their call to go to Africa. She was at a revival or some kind of a meeting, and God spoke to her husband, God spoke to her, and they both felt a call to Africa. And I can't remember the time, I can't remember the years off the top of my head of when they first went to Africa. But they had a call of God to go to Africa. Brother and Sister Freeman, she, she was a, 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 a powerful speaker, and many people, how many ever heard her speak in here? Just, she was incredible, powerful, persuasive, inspiring, convicting. And uh, they had a call to go to Africa, and they met, they met the Global Missions Board, made application to be missionary. And the Global Missions Board looked at them and told them no. And she said, when we left that meeting, and I'm condensing what she took an hour or more to explain, I'm condensing this down. She said she left that and she told her husband, I know God called us. We both know God called us. We don't need them. They told us no. They were expecting yes. We don't need them. Let's just go. And she said, my husband told me no. We're going to wait. So they waited. And they went to the Foreign Missions Board a second time, expecting, okay, now we've waited. It's been a few years. They're going to say yes. We know what God said. And the, and the Missions Board told them no. And she said, now I was really fit to be tired. Now I'm really tired. I'm really sick of it. We're just going to go on our own. And my husband said, no, we're going to wait. And, and she was praising her husband. And at this time of my life, there were some critical things happening. And I'll never forget her telling this story. That, that story changed my life. She said, so finally we waited the third time. He said, we made application to go to the Foreign Missions Board. And if I'm hearing this right, the third time, if I'm remembering this right, the third time that she went before them, they said, we don't know why we didn't send you a long time ago. We need people over there now. Yes, yes, yes. We should have sent you years ago. She said, I got so mad at that that I wanted to walk out and say, well, I'm just going to go on my own. He said, but I looked back, and everything, it was about timing. And she said, I wasn't ready to go. Had I gone, I may have backslid because there were things, and she, she began to lay it out. I can't remember all the things, and logistically, everything worked out, and the timing was right. And she said, here I was. She said, I knew I was called, and I almost destroyed the purpose God had for my life because I wasn't willing to submit to what God had put in my life. Well, unbeknownst to her, a few weeks later, I would go into my pastor's office 
And I would ask his permission. Who He was my pastor. He was also my boss. I was on staff there at the church. And I was asking his blessing for a major decision in my life. Somebody that I, I wanted to marry. And I went to my pastor. I said, Pastor, you know, I mean, I, I'd, I'd, I'd been, I think we'd been dating something like three years. I mean, like this is a shoe-in, right? The reality is I talked to my mom and dad, and my mom and dad expressed spiritual hesitation. They couldn't put their finger on it. And they said, Andrew, we don't feel comfortable about this. So as my first delegated authority in my life, I thought, well, I'll bypass them, and I'll get the blessing of my pastor, and that'll trump what mom and dad says. I, walked, I, stuck, my, I stuck my head into my pastor's office. Be quiet. <laughs> he knows the story. I stuck my head in my pastor's office like I do or did every other day when he was there. Hey, pastor, I'm leaving. If there's anything else, let me know. Oh, and by the way, something I want to talk to you about when you've got a few minutes, something I need to ask you. I don't know what he was doing. You know, he's, he's over there working. He's on his computer. He's on the phone. He's doing something, studying. I don't know what he was doing. When I said that, pushed his chair back, turned around, got up, walked around the office, and he walked over to me. And as he was walking, he said, Andrew, I'm glad you asked me. I didn't even tell him what it was. I didn't even say a thing. He said, I'm glad you asked me because I've been praying and fasting over this. And he said, and I know what you're coming to say. You know, I, I, I know. I didn't know, how to, I didn't know how to bring it up. I didn't know how to tell you. But now that you've opened the door, he said, I'm coming to tell you this. And he walked over to me and he said, this is not of God. This is not right. He said, I'm telling you, I can't tell you stronger in the Holy Ghost how strong I feel this right now. And he said, now you can disobey me. You can go, you can go around. You can do whatever you want. And he said, you might make it to heaven, but you will never have a ministry. You want to talk about heavy, heavy words. You want to talk about teeth grinding. How dare he tell me that? You know, someone that I love very dearly in my life is my pastor. Who knows what he saved me from? But I'll tell you, I, never, I would never have what I have now. And I was a slow learner. You know how many times I walked into my pastor's office and asked him things? I'd say, you know what, Andrew? I don't feel this is right. No. And I was submitted to the man of God in my life. 17 years of age, full-time offer to go work at a church. My pastor said, no, Andrew, this isn't right. God, God has something different for you. Things in my life. Churches now, and I've watched those people, those people that I was tied to, those people that I was connected to, those lights that I wanted to follow, they don't even believe what they claim they believe. Some of them now who were preachers and ministers and all that, they don't even believe in the Holy Ghost. That's how far they slipped. That's how far they went. God kept me from things. The things I love today. I am indebted in my life, in my marriage, and in my ministry to many people in my life. But my pastor, Paul Mooney, he's not a perfect man, but he was the man that served in the role as the voice of God in my life. And I learned to say yes and to submit 
It was a large church, so I would come and I would seek out his advice, and I would ask him. I would never make a major decision where I wouldn't say, "Hey, Pastor, I want you to pray about this. I want you. I want. I. I and I would use these words. I said, Pastor, I give you veto power in my life. And the reason why I feel this so strong is because I know how much it saved me and how much it changed me. We live in a day and an age and a culture removed from my day and age. But this is not. This is not." Uh, common. This is not acceptable. How dare a pastor tell you no? You mean a pastor would tell you no? I'm going to tell you, sometimes the best thing that we could have happen in our life is for somebody to be able to speak no. Somebody say, no, you're not on the right path. To keep us from the things in our life. I'll never forget, I was, I was a talented young man, and I'm not saying that to toot my own horn, but, but I, I started playing the piano and before I went to Bible college, I, I was involved in a lot of things, and, and, and music ministry sort of started, I was what I was known for. And my pastor's the one that sort of helped correct that, sort of keep me on focus. And one summer, I think I was 16 years old, I was going up, I was going to go to a church, and I was going to spend about a month at this church, helping out this church, hanging out this church, just doing whatever. And it's a large church. I mean, at the time, the church in its heyday, you know, averaging, I don't know, 1,400 people, a couple thousand people, 4,500 or something on Easter. That's a lot of people. So I didn't want to bother my pastor with everything. So my, our youth pastor, my youth pastor at the time, who's a very dear friend of ours, Brother Sister Brosom, Brent Brosom. I'll never forget this. I don't know. I just must have been a hard case or whatever. But I, I, I was going and I was leaving and I was saying, hey, you know, I, I helped him. At the time, I was a student in, in the youth department, obviously, but played the piano and would help him and sort of on his, his youth student team and whatever he needed. And I said, hey, I'm going to be gone for a month. I'm going up to this church in, in, uh, in Canada, and I'm going to be up there. And he turned to me and he said, have you talked to pastor about that? And I made the mistake of responding like this, Brother Bollinger. I said, ah, I don't need to talk to my pastor. <laughs> See, I wasn't just a kid in the church. I had started a youth prayer meeting. I was on the platform at the church. I was involved in the music. And I'll never forget standing in the foyer of that church. Where Brother Brosom looked at me. He, he turned around and looked at me. He started talking to me, and I just started backing up. I just started, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I hit the wall. I hit the brick wall. <laughs> and he's standing there. He's putting his finger. He said, don't you ever say you don't need to talk to your pastor. All right. He said, you need to let him know. He said, you're here. He trusts you. He has faith in you. You need to let him know. He's yours. What if this isn't the will of God? What if this isn't right? What if this isn't safe for you? What if somebody is trying to take advantage of you and you don't even know it? He said, you need to talk to your pastor. You need to make sure. You keep yourself accountable. Accountability is the most important thing. Man, he drilled that into me. And he talked to me for probably 20 minutes right there in the foyer in front of everybody, and I'm just going, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. That moment, he put something into my spirit. My youth pastor put something into my spirit. He drilled it into me. I went the very next, the next service, the next opportunity I can. I went up to the pastor and said, hey, pastor, I, I, I have to ask you something. I'm so sorry. I should have done this before. But I have an invitation. Oh, yeah, Andrew, I want you to go. Yeah, that's great. You go, you do that, and all that stuff. And I'd let him know all the time. Do you know how many times he went, for, went to bat for me behind 
behind closed doors. What am I saying? I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you my story to, to make you think any different or what about me. I'm telling you that there is something powerful and there is a security that comes in submission. Because God can use fallible people to bring about His perfect will. And it may be the place God wants me to go, and I may have the burden to go, but it may not be the right timing. And God can use somebody else's no to set everything in order and to order your steps. See, those things, I was telling you those things so that you could understand how hard it is to be able to receive those no's in our life. You know, when I, I wanted to say, you know, you know what my flesh says? No, I don't need to talk to him. That's what my flesh wants to say. My flesh wants to say, well, who do you think you are telling me no? That I can't go here. I can't marry this. That I can't do that. Actually, if you want to know the whole story, the next time, I had a girlfriend, he came and talked to me too. And when I finally, when I finally met Janelle, man, I was head over heels in love with her, but I was like, no, nah, I'm not, I can't be all in until I figure some things out. And so I, I drove over in, in a December, we'd only been dating three months. And, and, and I drove over in December and picked her up and took her back to Indianapolis because she had to meet my parents and she had to meet my pastor. So I took, I pre, we were preaching out that Sunday morning and I took her back to church, to my home church that Sunday night. I was preaching out and took her back there. And that Sunday night was a Christmas service and they had a big fellowship uh, banquet kind of thing after there. And so we're downstairs in the basement of the church. There's, you know, however many people around, thousand people around. And I'm introducing her. So I, I walk over, here's the moment. And I introduce her to my pastor and, and, oh yeah, yeah, you're from Michigan. And he knew her, the family and, yeah, talking a little bit, and then immediately somebody else comes because there's all kinds of people, and, and so he's away, and I was like, okay, well, that, 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 was, that was good. He didn't say no, this is good. So we're standing around, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm great, and this is, this is wonderful, and then all of a sudden, I feel this arm come around my shoulder, and he had walked up behind me in the middle of everybody, and he said, let's talk. Oh, you want to talk about my heart start racing and beating right then. We turned around and we started walking. We're in the fellowship and there's like this corner where this really dark, long hallway and this is the hallway that we're walking down. We're like, oh Lord. And he said, Andrew, I'm your pastor, right? I said, yes, sir. And I have veto power. And you're like, yes, sir. He said, and I've never steered you wrong, right? No, you haven't, sir. He said, and he said, and he said I, I, I know spirits. And then he started talking. He said, I know spirits. He said, when I meet people, I know things. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I didn't, I didn't pick up anything on Janelle. Like, wow, I missed this. Like, what, what's going on? And he said, and he went on and he said, I'm going to tell you. He said, there's nothing wrong with this girl. This girl is amazing. And he said, this is the girl. He said, this girl, you need to marry this girl. I'm not making this up, folks. He said, you need to marry this girl. And we're like a week away from Christmas. And he said, and Christmas is the right time that you need to ask her. I, I said, wait a minute. You just met her. He said, trust me on this one. I needed a prophet in my life. Brother Zarita, 
I needed, I, I, I needed God to write in the sky. He done wrote in the sky. <laughs> so I mustered up enough faith to call my father-in-law that week and explain to him that I was a poor evangelist with no money, but I felt I wanted to marry his daughter. And he probably sat on the other end of that line for 45 minutes and listened to me talk and sweat. I paced my house living room for four hours before I had enough nerve to call him. And he said, absolutely, yes. So then I'm driving out of town. I'm leaving Indianapolis to go over to Janelle's house to ask her to marry me at their family Christmas. And I called Brother Mooney on the way out of town because I was going to call him one more time. I wanted to make sure he was right. <laughs> I'd done, already bought the ring. I'd done put the money in. You know, I'd already done that. And I called. I was going to ask him. I was saying, I was going to let him know, Pastor, I'm on my way. Are you sure this is right? So I called his cell phone. His daughter answered, and I could tell they were at a family dinner. They were all together, and it was his daughter, Dina. Hey, Dad, it's Andrew. Andrew, I can hear him. Give me the phone. Give me the phone. And he picked up the phone, and he said, did she say yes? That was, that was all he said. Did she say yes? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to drive to go ask her, but I wanted to make sure that it was okay with you. He said, don't call me back until she says yes. And he hung up on me. He hung up on me. He hung up on me. But in my life, I needed someone in that area. Now, let's put this in perspective. I was, an I was a licensed minister with the United Pentecostal Church. I was full-time evangelizing, traveling around the country preaching. I was praying every service to God to get a word for the people that I was preaching to. And God would give me a word. But your anointing doesn't work on you. The T.W. Barnes used to say that. Your anointing doesn't work on you. God did not give you your anointing for you. He gave you your anointing, anointing to minister to other people. And you need someone else's anointing sometimes to speak into your life. So when I heard, when I submitted to the process, God saved me. So I am here today because I was willing to let the body of Christ be the gift that God wanted it to be in my life. Young people make a mistake when they write off their delegated authority called their parents. We make a mistake when we have itching ears. And you don't have dictators and obedience is relative, and I'm running out of time. Maybe I'll finish this up later because I only got halfway through my notes. Obedience is relative, but submission is absolute. That's a topic that we could talk about. Put that quote up there. Obedience is relative, but submission is absolute. That, that's a powerful statement. It comes out of the book Spiritual Authority by Watchman Nee. That book changed my life. Obedience is relative because sometimes people can ask you to do something that's in defiance to the Word of God. And the apostle said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey God rather than men. But if you note it in Scripture, the apostles were still submitted. Submission is absolute. God never gives us a license to not be submitted. In fact, submission goes so deep that God says, not only do you obey them that have rule over you and you submit yourselves, He says, you submit yourselves to every ordinance, to kings and to governments. It runs that deep. I could talk, that's a whole nother level. But I'll tell you this, these three things changed my life. Stand together with me as we come to a close. Submit to the Word of God. Submit to God's Spirit. 
and submit to God's program, what God gives you. Lord, I thank You for Your Holy Ghost tonight, and I thank You for Your Spirit. I thank You for the ways that You've saved my life, that You've changed my life. I thank You for every word, every testimony, every prompting. And I pray tonight, God, that You would bless this church. Give us a security because we know we walk in submission to You. God, we don't, we don't get twisted up because of human beings, but we know that You use fallible people to work Your perfect promise. We know that You work all things out. I pray today, God, that You would give me a surrender in my spirit. That I would continue to be submitted because I need things in my life. I need these things in my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would somebody be brave enough tonight to lift your arms and give the Lord veto power in your life? God, I give you veto power in everything that I do, in everything I say, in everything I am, everything I live, everything I purchase, everything I strive for, everything I have, everywhere I go, who I am. I give you veto power in my life. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to know those that I'm surrounding myself to, those that I've tied myself with. I want Your Spirit in my life. And God, I know that I stand on the Word of God because if Your Word and Your Spirit and Your program speaks the same thing, I can have constant assurance from You. And I thank You today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And somebody said, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I, I, I don't feel like I've done a very good job tonight. I feel like I've gone too long, but I do want to let you know that this changed my life. And every day, something that we have to deal with, something we have to live with. Amen. Can we put our hands together and thank God for His Word? Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And this, this isn't a word that we can just you know, pray at an altar and have an emotional experience. But we actually have to go out and put this into practice into our lives. So I bless you tonight. Be blessed. Amen. God's Spirit is here. His Word is for you. His Spirit is for you. God's working for you. I'm for you. Amen. And God wants the best for you in your life. Amen. Aren't you thankful that we have a loving God?